Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 12 to start with. And the reason why I want to start with Matthew chapter 12 is because that's where I want to land this morning if we get the time to do that. But we are watching the clock because we do uh, want to uh, we want to follow our schedule. And uh, so we'll see if we're able to get there. But here's the reason why I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. You'll say, well, this, this Christmas, shouldn't we be lingering around the Christmas passages? Well, we're going to do that. But this is one of the greatest Christmas passages I can think of. You say, why is that the case? Well, it's the case because look at what Jesus, look at what we're told in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, don't have to worry about what just happened. He has been criticized. He has been ridiculed. He has been confronted for who he is and what he does. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them. So on the one hand, he's being criticized by authorities. On the other hand, he is being surrounded by multitudes of people who are excited about who he is and what he's doing. And then I want you to see what it says in verses 16 and 17. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. Now this is a passage of Scripture right out of the Old Testament. A passage of Scripture that God gave to Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Now I want to focus on just one verse there for the moment, because I want it to be your frame of reference when we go back to Matthew chapter 1 and look at some other things here this morning. But I want you to look at verse 20 where it says, A bruised reed, do you see that? Where it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. Now, I bring this to your attention because when we focus on the Lord at Christmas time, we need to recognize that Jesus is man fully man, as much human as you and I when he came, and fully God at the same time. Jesus is two natures in one. Now, that may be difficult for us to understand, but it's critical for you and I to understand that. You and I know why Jesus had to come as a man. He had to come as a man in order to pay the penalty for man's sins. Man has to pay the penalty for man's sins. But in coming as a man, he is able to comfort, encourage, strengthen, challenge us like no other man is able to do. 
And when he talks about his program, when we see a discussion of his program here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, a bruised reed is, represents people who are broken, crushed, and a smoking flax represents people who have lost hope. You can add a lot of other words there to describe the condition of people as far as a bruised reed is concerned, but it comes from a very simple, simple, simple uh, everyday thing. If you lived in that day and age and you walked down to the swamp area and you, you, saw, you saw reeds that were, were uh, bulrushes that were, were, were in the wind, some of them are okay, some of them are healthy, but you'll find some of them that are, that are bruised. That's the word that's used. They've been damaged by the wind. And the Bible says that Jesus is not going to take bruised people like bruised reeds, and he's not going to break them. He's going to nurture them. He's going to help them through. He's going to guide them. A smoking flax refers to a wick. We didn't have electric lights. They didn't have that back then in those days. And you had to have a, a lamp on your table with oil in the lamp and a wick. And I don't know, you and I have been in situations where we've, we've, we've turned those oil lamps. I'm old enough to remember those oil lamps and to have used them in cabins and at home and uh, for decorations around Christmas time. And, and, and here he's describing a lamp that has a wick that's just, just smoldering, just it wants to start, it wants to light, but for some reason it isn't. It's just smoldering, it's just smoking. And the Bible says that he's not going to take a person who is just flickering or just trying uh, to, to ignite. He's not going to quench it. He's not going to extinguish. He's not going to put his finger on it and say, ah, well, let's get rid of that. It's not working out. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. Because if you look at verse 18, and I love all of these passages of Scripture in the Bible that describe conversations or dialogue between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you, you have those in Scripture. And I love these, these, uh, these statements. When you look at verse 18 where it says, Behold, my servant. My refers to God the Father. My servant, servant refers to Christ, Christ Jesus. And he describes his relationship with Christ, and he says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. He's my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. And if you couldn't figure that out, and you tried to figure that out because you went back to Isaiah chapter 42, where we actually have it recorded and you have additional information in there because Matthew is paraphrasing what Isaiah says. And if you quite couldn't figure out exactly the identity of the Father and the Son here, it should become unmistakable when you get to the next verse where the Bible says that God says, the Father, I will put my spirit that's capitalized because that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit upon him, the servant, Jesus 
Christ, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. So there's a big hint, a huge hint. And Jesus the servant actually speaks for himself in Luke when he was in his hometown in the village of Nazareth. He was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day in Luke chapter 4. He was handed a copy of the scriptures of Isaiah, and he opened the book of Isaiah to this chapter, chapter 61, and he reads these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. Do you see the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit there? Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And with that, Jesus closed the Old Testament uh, book of Isaiah. You put those two in, a great hint for what this passage of Scripture is referring to. But why did it bring it to your attention? Because at Christmas time, what do we focus on as far as Christ is concerned? We focus on a, a little baby in a manger. We don't linger there because Jesus is no longer in the manger. Now we have His ministry to deal with. And it's just as much a part of the Christmas story as His birth in the city of Nazareth, in the city of Bethlehem, in His life in the city of Nazareth in his ministry in Judea and in Galilee, his crucifixion on the cross in the city of Jerusalem. You see the, the point? But here I have for years and years, every time when I've read this verse, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will not, he will not extinguish, and he will not break and crush the downcast. And here's the amazing thing, and I'm going to share this with you right now, because turn back to Isaiah chapter 42. You talk about an interesting play on words. Here's a great play on words. This is really, really fantastic as far as I'm concerned. Okay? In Isaiah 42, I want you to see this. We'll skip over the information that we looked at in verses 1 and 2, and we'll go to verse 3 where Jesus said, a bruised reed. Do you all find that there in Isaiah chapter 42? A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. That's a, almost an exact quote of what we just read. But look at the very next verse and following. First of all, he concludes the first three by saying, he will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Now, think about that. Think about that. Now, I want you to look at verse 4 for just a second. I want you to see the play on words. First of all, he talks about a bruised reed and then a smoking flax. And we, the human race, are likened to those two things. Then he refers to Jesus bringing forth justice for truth, he will not fail. Here's the play on words. He will not fail, which means he will not grow dim, 
What's that refer to? The smoking flax. And he will not be discouraged. That refers to the bruised reed. See how thoroughly the Lord is identifying with us? He identifies with us as human race because he came as a man. And I've got to say this to you. I was talking to a, I was talking to a teenager just, uh, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And I've, I've shared this story with a couple of people, I think. But I was talking to a teenager just a couple of weeks ago who was questioning the reality of Christ and uh, the reality of his life and his death and his resurrection. And I merely said to him, I said, you know, I said, you know, Jesus rose from the dead and is now in heaven. Bodily. He rose in the same body in which he was crucified. That body transformed glorified, but it is still a body that Jesus has. He has not shed his manhood. He has not shed his humanness in that regard. Now, you, you and I have to understand, so Jesus is in heaven right now in a glorified body still identifying with you and me. And that's critical because what he says here is that he is not going to fail or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth, until he brings the whole earth under the authority of God. But this teen said to me, wow, I didn't know that. I thought when Jesus died, his body was put into the grave and that's it. That's where it ended. Nothing else became of it. And I said, well, what about the resurrection? Well, I thought maybe his body, he was resurrected, but it just wasn't bodily. Now, you and I, you and I need to, and the only way for us to appreciate how Jesus has so closely identified himself with us is to understand the Christmas story. Right? Doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it make sense? It makes a, a lot of sense to me. And so I'm encouraged at Christmas time when I see this, uh, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I think about Christ and, and how he has so closely identified with us and how he loved us so much that he was willingly, voluntarily. You have critics out there who say, well, you know, God must not be a very good father because he insisted that his son go to the cross and die for, for us, for our sin. So he must, be a, he must be a bad dad who insists that his son do that. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that Jesus voluntarily stepped in, said, I will do it. Voluntarily did it. I mean, this is, this is incredible. Okay, let's go back to Matthew chapter 1 for a minute, and let's, uh, let's kind of get some bearings here as to where I want to go with this. I, I just I want to remind you of, uh, of the Christmas story and the fact that you and I should not take a, 
a story that is so familiar with us. We know it so well that we don't think much of it. And we don't spend a lot of time digging into it. And we don't feel that there's any way that we can use it, perhaps, uh, because it's so well known by people around the world. But you and I know, you and I know, just because the Bible teaches that Jesus is God, who has taken on the form of man, and Jesus has the two natures of God and man in one person. That doesn't mean the world understands that. It doesn't mean the world understands that. And so it's important for us in this day and age to all of us to be on board with our understanding of Scripture so that we can clearly share it. In this day and age, we need to clearly share it uh, because we have a world view out there that is just fastly disintegrating into uh, humanism and secularism and materialism and commercialism and the world Christian worldview or the biblical worldview that we have always believed for the most part that has represented our country is fast disappearing. But let's go back to Matthew for just a second, and let's pick up a couple of observations here in Matthew. This is the daily Bible reading, the book of Matthew. And in the daily Bible reading, we're reading through the book of Matthew, and I want you to notice that Matthew chapter 1 begins with these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now, you can't read that passage of Scripture and then question Jesus's humanness. You can't do that. I mean, clearly, the humanity of Jesus is clearly taught in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, where the Bible says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is a man. He calls himself the son of man. It was his favorite title to describe himself. In verse 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as following. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And she received that revelation. She received that revelation in the next few verses. And God describes it to her. And says that you're going to bring forth a son, you'll call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins in verse 21. His birth was a natural birth. The only difference between Jesus and every other human being on the face of the earth is that his birth was natural, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is not just a man. There's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Let me remind you, and this is critical as well <clears throat> for us to understand. And let me remind you that Jesus was subject to all of the dangers of life on this planet like every other human being. He wasn't exempt from them. He wasn't exempt from skinning his knee. He wasn't exempt from getting sick. He wasn't exempt from getting tired and weary. He wasn't exempt from needing rest. He wasn't exempt from any of these things. Plus, he faced the, faced the dangers. Remember when the wise men came from 
the yeast, they came to Herod the king and says, where's this Jesus who's king of the Jews? And Herod, of course, said, well, uh, I don't know about this guy. He was thinking to himself, you know, I better play along with them so that I can find out where he is so I can get rid of him. And you'll remember in Matthew chapter 2, King, King Herod said to the wise men, go find him, and then when you find him, then you bring back word to me, and I'll come and worship him as well. But the wise men were warned that Herod's intentions were totally wrong, that he wanted to destroy Jesus, and in order to do that, he massacred all the innocents in all of the, all of the kids under two years of age in the city of Bethlehem when he found out where Jesus had been born. What I find really funny about this is not funny about it, nothing funny about it. But in verse 16, when Herod saw that he was deceived and the wise men outsmarted him, funny hearing that from a guy whose whole thinking here was to deceive the wise men. But anyway, that's a sidelight. Now, when Herod was dead, in verse 19, the angel appeared and said to Joseph, who they took Jesus to Egypt, for safety reasons. Herod's now dead. You can bring Jesus back to Judea, back to the land of Israel. And the Bible tells us that still the danger of people seeking him out was still there. So that even though Herod was dead, his son was still alive, and his son was now the ruler, and they settled in the little town of Nazareth, where it all began when the angel came to Mary in the first place. And I share that with you to remind you of another thing that you and I need to keep in mind, and that is that Jesus not only was fully man, not only did he have to deal with all of the dangers in the world in which we live, but he also had to deal with the uncomfortable circumstances that we live under, and in this case, poverty, because they were a poor family living in a pretty, pretty insignificant poor village. You say, how do we know? Well, we know. We know. Remember when Jesus was to be circumcised, they went, went into the temple to, be, to circumcise Jesus. And you'll remember, you'll remember that Mary didn't have to give the usual sacrifice of a lamb because Leviticus said, if you're really poor, you can just give a turtle dove. All right. But there's more to this, and it's important for you and I to understand that Jesus is not only a man, but he is also fully God as well. And we get an idea of that back there when the Bible says to us that his birth was a virgin birth and that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, even though his birth was natural. There's more to it than that. And that's critical for us to understand as well. And you and I can read through the book of Matthew, and one of the things that you and I need to do when we read through the book of Matthew is we need to look for evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and evidence that Jesus is the Son of Man. When you get to chapter 4 and he's tempted in the wilderness, he clearly describes himself as the Son of God, right? He says to the devil, you're not supposed to tempt God. And when we get to chapter 8 and the miracles and these things, we clearly see that Jesus is more than just a man. In chapter 8, for instance, he's on the Sea of Galilee, 
and he's on the Sea of Galilee, and the winds and the waves are just uh, are, are ferocious. Great tempest arose on the sea in verse 24. Disciples came to him and says, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And he said, oh, you have little faith. And Jesus arose and rebuked the winds of the sea, and they became calm. And here's the response from the disciples in verse 27. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? And the answer should have been, This is the Son of God. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And so we land on Matthew chapter 12. We're going to get to do that. There's not much more that we need to share about this passage of Scripture, but now you are looking at this in a different way, and you're saying, here is now Jesus who has identified himself so thoroughly with mankind. Such love, such compassion, such concern, that he will not crush a bruised reed, and he will not extinguish a smoking flax. And this is where we are. Because we're living... We're living where we need justice. We are. We are. Somebody said that uh, the problem with justice is that it's no longer admissible in a court of law. You ever hear that? Now, please keep this in mind. When we talk about justice, there are a lot of people out there who only want to talk about social justice. They want to talk about moral justice. You talk about bringing the world under the authority of God. You're not talking about anything but making sure that you deal with social justice issues. There's a lot of that going on, but it's a whole lot more than that, isn't it? It's a whole lot more than that, isn't it? Let me give you an illustration, and I think we have time to do this. Take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 23 for just a moment. Maybe, you know, I thought about how to deal with this justice issue because there's so much moral teaching here that is confirmed by the rest of Scripture that we would do injustice to justice if we would just talk about social justice. But I, I thought, well, what's the, one of the best ways to describe the problem that we have in the world in which we live? I said, well, an illustration or two. So here's an illustration, okay? It is Crucifixion Day, all right? And in verse 23 of Luke, Crucifixion Day, verse 23 of Luke, verse 13, then Pilate, now you're saying, wow, you're really going off. No, 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 listen, just bear with me for just a moment here. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said to them, you have brought this what? This man to me as one who misleads the people. You said, here's Jesus Here's this man, he's misleading the people, and I've examined him in your presence, and what did Pilate say? I've not found any fault in him concerning the things which you accused him. No, and he says, I talked to Herod about this, and and Herod and I, I sent him to Herod, and Herod sent him back, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. So I'm going to chastise him and release him. But isn't this human nature? Isn't this why we need justice in this world? 
For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. You're all familiar with this. You think justice is going to be served? No. Justice is not going to be served. So Barabbas had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion that he made in the city, and he was a murderer. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus a second time, called out to them, but a second time they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And then he said to them a third time in verse 22, Why, what evil has he done? I found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But here's the justice. And isn't it a picture of the kind of stuff that happens in the world today? I think of the injustice in third world countries, and I think of everything that happens sociologically and politically and, and uh, morally and all this kind of stuff. And I say, you know, we live in a world where there's not a lot of justice out there. But what's the justice in Jesus's case in verse 23? Here's the justice. They were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And, the just, and, and what, what about these voices? And the voices of these men and of the chief priests, what does it say? Prevailed. There's your justice. Now, you and I know that God had a bigger purpose in all of this injustice, right? You and I know that God's plan and purpose was for Jesus to go to that cross. And you know that Jesus' purpose for us was for him to voluntarily die on that cross so that he could pay the penalty for the sin that you and I deserve to pay the penalty for. Three times in Isaiah 42, the Bible tells us that justice is going to finally reign because Jesus is going to bring it to pass. He's going to bring it to pass twice in Matthew 12. He says, number one, he will declare justice to the Gentiles, and number two, he will send it forth to victory. Justice will be victory. Whose justice are we talking about? Are we talking about man's justice? No, absolutely not. We're talking about God's justice. The righteous king of the universe, the righteous Lord of the, of the world. We're talking about his justice. And the whole world is going to be under the authority of God's justice one of these days. And it's part, it's part of the coming of Christ. And the neat thing about this is the Bible says that Jesus will not fail. And he will not be discouraged until it happens. Now, you can read a lot into that. But the neat thing about that is we live in a world where we say, oh, well, I guess we're just going to have to, you know, we're just going to have to put up with this and worry about this and deal with this until Jesus comes back again, not understanding that Jesus is in the process of working it all out now. He didn't stop working. God is putting his enemies under his foots, footsteps, footstool. Um, Psalm 2, right? So the Christmas story has lots 
lots of implications for us in this day and age in which we live. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to walk out here this morning encouraged. I'm going to walk out here uh, feeling really great about the fact that Jesus has so carefully and so cautiously and so thoroughly identified himself with us. That even in the description of his bringing justice and bringing the whole world under the authority of God, even in that, he describes it in human terms as he's not going to fail. And he's not going to be discouraged till it happens. That's the play on words that you have. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Well, see, there's more to the Christmas story than we usually think about, isn't there? Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for, we thank you for the Savior. Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for the promise that this whole world one day will be under your authority and your justice will reign. Oh, God, we can't wait for that day. We're looking forward to it. We're anticipating. We pray in Jesus' name that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.